0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Today, we're moving into the second half of Galatians chapter 5. This is, again, a book, uh, a letter uh, written from the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia uh, to persuade them to abandon the false gospel of the false teachers, the Judaizers who were proclaiming a, a pseudo gospel, a false gospel of Jesus plus legalism. Uh, and we know that Jesus plus anything as it relates to the gospel and for our salvation is a false gospel. Uh, Jesus plus my best efforts, Jesus plus your best efforts. That's a false gospel. You see, the logic of the gospel is not uh, that God has saved us because of the good things that we have done for him, nor is it God has saved you through his mercy, now you, in turn, have to do something for him to somehow like pay him back, like uh, you owe God big. it's, It's not like that. Instead, it is God's love for us is so great That he will not be satisfied until we are wholly and completely who he created us to be. Utterly free to enjoy love and peace and all else that comes through communion uh, with him. God's transformation of believers flows out of his love for us. That's why we often say God's love is not a pampering love. It is a what? Perfecting love. Think about it in terms of the relationship that you have with your children. Your love for them. I mean, if all you ever did was tell them how amazing they are, (laughs) and all you did was just dote on them, you never corrected them, uh, you never allowed them to experience the consequences of poor choices, or to go through any kind of hardship, or anything like that, can you imagine what you'd be creating in that kid? They'd be spoiled terribly, right? I I mean, (laughs) you talk about creating a little monster, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, I can remember when I was uh, when I was coaching uh, back in the days when my boys were like playing baseball and everything. There was always a distinct difference between how the mamas in the stands would react to a kid striking out and the way that the coaches reacted to a kid striking out. And one of the guys that I coached with, he, he wasn't so diplomatic. And this kid strikes out, and he's heading back to the dugout, and you can hear his mom in the stands going, "It's okay, sweetie. It's okay." And you know, like all moms are prone to do. I mean, and the coach goes, "No, it's not." it's not okay, if you would do what I've been coaching you to do, that wouldn't have happened, you know, and so many times God says, you know what, you're not the amazing person that sometimes you think you are, and you're not all that you can be by my grace and for my glory, and so I'm going to do some stuff in your life that sometimes may hurt a little bit, but it's for your own good, it's for your own good, and it's for my glory ultimately, and so, Uh, That's how God's love works. This transformation flows out of that love for us. He has given us his spirit to render us renewed and righteous as we were meant to be. So to walk by the spirit, that's the language we're seeing here in the last half of Galatians chapter 5, is a choice to receive that divine love and experience it to the full. Now as the prophets of Israel, as they looked uh, through the failure of their nation and even beyond the exile to the hope of on the other side they foretold of god's people enjoying a new relationship to the commands of god And so they prophesied that God would write his law on their hearts, according to Jeremiah chapter 31. He would put his spirit within his people so that they would be able to obey him faithfully, Ezekiel tells us, in Ezekiel chapter 36. So believers in Christ have experienced the fulfillment of this prophecy. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. If you, if, you, if you look at the latter days of Jesus and in, in his earthly ministry here on earth, before he ascended back to the Father, what did he say to his followers? I'm not leaving you comfortless. So, so, so I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit, the one, literally, the, the, the word is paraclete, the one called alongside to help you to live out this Christian life, to fulfill this great commission that I am giving you to evangelize the world, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why scripture says, Hey, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, indwelling us. Now, don't be confused this morning. There's a distinct difference between being filled with the Spirit and being indwelt by the Spirit. Okay, we believe, according to scripture, that all who have turned from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ are at that moment indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we are not always filled with the Spirit. There have been way too many times in my life that I'm filled with Mike Lovely. (laughs) And so I can't possibly be filled with Mike Lovely and filled with the Spirit at the same time. That's why the teaching of Scripture is be being filled with the Spirit. Okay, it's not some momentary thing that kind of happens. You have this huge event and now you can go, I got the Holy Spirit. That's That's not the teaching of Scripture. It's day by day saying, I want Jesus, I want the Lord to be Lord of my life. I don't just want him sitting at the boardroom table helping me make decisions when I need him. I can call on him over there and go, what do you think? No, no, no. It's I'm getting out of the chair of the chairman of the board and I'm saying, I want you right here. I want you right here. So you don't just want Jesus to have a place in your life. You want him to have prominence in your life, preeminence in your life. Uh, That's the controlling power of the Holy Spirit as he indwells us. And so Paul teaches here that the spirit and the flesh are opposed in such a manner as to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. If there's any of Paul's writings that that resonates with me, it's when he says, man, there are some things I want to do, but I don't do them. And there's some things I know I shouldn't do, but I find myself doing them. Anybody else relate to that at all? Okay, three of us, that's awesome. Okay, the rest of you, I don't know why you're even here today, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's often a struggle, right? I have good intentions. I intend to get up tomorrow morning and, man, spend time in the Word, and I intend to you know, to be prayerful throughout the day and all those things. And then, lo and behold, I find myself getting, like, weirdly offended by some dippy thing that hap- you know, and I'm just like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I am not walking by the Spirit right now. That, that, that's, that's my flesh rearing its ugly head. Most of you are aware of uh, this uh, psychological phenomenon called flashbulb memory, right? That's where you can remember exactly where you were, what you were doing, when a significant event happens. Okay, so those of you who are alive, 9-11, you can probably remember where you were, what you were doing. You can probably even remember some specific details of that day, of that morning, uh, when you either walked by a TV, or you turned on the news that morning or whatever, and you saw the planes hitting the World Trade Center. I mean, so that's flashbulb memory. I have one of those that happened early in our marriage. Christy and I hadn't even been married a year yet, as I recall, maybe just over a year. I was working on a Christian radio station in Northeast Ohio, and uh, that particular evening, if I remember right, it was a Wednesday evening, I was working the drive time shift, which is like 4.30 to midnight, and so I was preparing to read that hour's news and weather, So at that time, we pulled the news off of the AP wire. I pulled it off. I was editing the news. I was looking through it to make sure there weren't any words, names that I couldn't pronounce or anything like that. I was going through like we typically do. And then I sat down in the chair in the studio and prepared to read the news that evening on the hour. And so I said uh, something like this. The first shots have been fired over Riyadh, and the United States of America is officially at war. And I remember pausing when I said those words because I was a little overcome by emotion, honestly. Like, like I'd known that there had been, I mean, conflict in our country's history, and our past. I'd studied history, and I knew of the World Wars and, and the Korean conflict, all those different things. But, but for the first time in my life, I'm sitting here thinking, this means, like, pe- people are going to die. Like, bombs are being dropped, and people are giving their lives in this conflict. This is, this is serious. Like, this is significant. And, and, and historians would tell us that that was really the first time in our nation's history that you could, like, watch a war in real time. Like, remember that? You would turn on the evening news at that time, and, like, you would see, like, I mean, they were literally showing footage of what was happening on the front lines of this conflict. I mean, It was incredible. What what Paul is kind of telling us here is we are at war. If if somehow you've been deceived into thinking that if you commit your life to Jesus Christ, everything's just going to be amazing from that day forward, you don't have a clear understanding of Scripture. I I mean, Scripture makes it clear that we have a very real adversary who has a very real desire to destroy our lives. That's why Scripture says, be sober, be vigilant. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. This is serious business. And, and while we, especially as Baptists, we, we kind of get you know, kind of weird when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We're just not real sure what to do about that. And how, what does that look like? And who is he? and, and is, he a, you know, is there a demon hiding behind every bush? And all those sorts of things. Trust me, spiritual warfare is real. It's very real. And so that's really the conflict that Paul is kind of unpacking here for us. Uh, In this uh, part of Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at it together. Verses 16 through 26. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There's that war. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. He's going to give us some evidence here. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If these things characterize your life If this looks a lot like you, that is not a good thing is what Paul is saying here. But in contrast, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In his work, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. It's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So as we look at this text and we see this conflict between our fleshly desires, our natural bent And this idea of walking in the Spirit, understand the conflict here, and understand how much we are, and we'll sing it later this morning, God willing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to turn toward those things that we find attractive in the flesh. The advertising world knows that, don't they? I mean, we're inundated all the time with ads that would appeal to our flesh. If you buy this car... Women will just like be surrounding you. If you use this kind of soap, oh my goodness, you just can't even imagine what's going to happen in your, in your intimate life. with your. I mean, just all these false promises and things appealing to what? Appealing to our flesh. Appealing to our flesh. And so let's look at it together. Let's start by looking at verses 16 through 18. Understanding that the big idea of today's message is this. Live in freedom from legalism. That's largely what we've been seeing through the through study of Galatians so far, because it's a yoke of slavery. But here he hones in a little more and he says, also live in freedom from the desires of the flesh, because that is a yoke of destruction. That is a yoke of destruction. So he says, first, walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. In, in order to wage war on the flesh, you must yield to the spirit. Now, the word walk that is used here implies the pattern uh, of conduct in one's life. Uh, Most of the time in Scripture, whenever you see the word walk, uh, it is not talking about putting one foot in front of the other in order to get from point A to point B. Uh, More often, it is talking about our manner of life. That's why we sometimes refer to our walk with the Lord. Your walk with the Lord, what does that look like? And so that's the idea that he's getting at here. And so he's saying seek direction, seek empowerment, seek guidance from the Spirit as you walk through life in this broken, sinful world, uh, which you have by the gospel and which you know through the scriptures and through community. Um, I, 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 do a lot of walking. In fact, I, I posted yesterday evening, I kind of hit this big milestone of 3,500 miles since the start of 2019. Rarely do I walk at night. Uh, I, I'm not real comfortable walking at night. Uh, it can, uh, and one of the things that I fear the most, uh, apart from a loose dog or something like that, um, a bandit who would jump out, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I, I fear a misstep is what I fear. I fear twisting an ankle or falling and, you know, breaking a hip or something like that. I'm, you know, I'm, Probably old enough to do that kind of thing, so that's one of the things I fear the most. So you know, I wear this little safety band thing that flashes, and I use the flashlight on my phone to make sure that I can see the, the sidewalk and know that I'm not going to step on a you know an uneven part of the concrete or whatever. That's what, in life as we make our way through life in this very broken, sinful world in the darkness of this world in which we live. We need to make certain that we are following the guidance, the lead of the Holy Spirit. He, is the, he gives us the light to understand the, the way that we need to go. That's why scripture says, walk circumspectly. That's a way of saying, walk very carefully. Walk cautiously. It's, it's like the difference between strolling through the mall one afternoon and walking through a minefield. You're probably going to walk a little differently when you know you're walking through a minefield, Right? I mean, you're going to take every measure that you can to detect any kind of, uh, of explosive device or anything like that. that. That's really more how we should be walking through this world. Under the, the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And so there's this tension here between divine empowerment and our choice to walk by the Spirit. So again, we've been clear throughout our study of Galatians that we are not... Not in any way, shape, or form saved by works. But there's a tension that we are also responsible for examining ourselves and for living out spiritual discipline. So there's this tension here between divine enablement, the help that we must have from God Himself by His Holy Spirit, and human choice. And human choice. There's a theologian named Tom Schreiner who writes on this. He says, on the one hand, believers may choose or must choose to live by the Spirit, while on the other hand, the Spirit empowers believers to live a life pleasing to God. So the desires of the flesh, understand this, are all desires of fallen humanity, things such as self-righteousness and pride and self-justification and lust. And we're going to see some of those things fleshed out for us here in Paul's a writing as he continues. So the spirit is opposed to the flesh. And when I say the flesh, I'm not just talking about our, our, our physical bodies, okay? Yes, they, they are broken. <laughs> That's why Paul says, in, in this tent we groan. Uh, we, we groan, longing to, to, to exchange our mortality for immortality and those kinds. But really, he's talking about the fleshly desires, the things that would be our natural bent. Uh, those things that, we, that would appeal to our fleshly desires. And so if you have been adopted, and again, that means you then are indwelt by the Spirit, y- you will progressively make war on the flesh. But in order to do this, you have to rest in your adoption. Does that make sense? Seems, seems, seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? So, so Paul is not saying here just sit passively on the bench. In that relationship, no, no, it's you actually have to get in the game. (laughs) You have to get in the game. In fact, Paul often uses athletic terminology in his writings. I mean, he uses words like agonize. (laughs) Agonize. He he says, he writes in Romans, he says, Abhor, detest what is evil, while you cling to, cleave to what is good. That's something that you have to do on the regular. On the regular. Don't be fooled by the things of this world. Those are false saviors. So the spirit is opposed to the flesh. In order to wage war uh, on the flesh, you must yield to the spirit. The spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other, so they cannot and should not coexist. Now one of the things that we like to try to do, because we do naturally love the things of this world, the things that gratify our flesh, comes pretty easy for most of us, is we want to have one foot in the world and one foot walking in the spirit. You ever done a, a, uh, one of those, like, with three people? Like, you do it. It's not a three legged race. It's really more like a, like, where, like, this leg is tied to this part, this t- I mean, that, you talk about some chaos. Uh, you, you talk about watching some people fall flat on their face. That's what happens when we decide, I, I kind of want to live in the world. I kind of want to gratify my flesh, but I also kind of want to walk in the spirit. So he's saying here ma- make sure you understand. This is not how this works. The text is pointing out that we still, yes, have both natures at play within us. You see further teaching on that in Romans chapter 7. It's a picture of the already, not yet state of the believer. We are already fully justified, but not yet sanctified and certainly not glorified. So there still lingers the old man, as we would say. The old man, the desires of the flesh will be strong, so don't indulge them but also don't downplay them. Don't downplay them. J.C. Ryle said, a Christian is known not only for his inner peace, but his inner warfare. His inner warfare. So though Paul is clear that we will struggle, he is certain that the gospel triumphs over both a life of legalism and a life of licentious living. Justification by faith does not result in license. In other words, man, I got my get out of hell free card, I know that I'm saved, now I can just go live however I want to. That that is taught nowhere in Scripture. That is taught nowhere in Scripture. That's not freedom. But producing Christian virtue is done by the vine by the vine. Remember, he is the vine, we are the branches. We are free not to live a life of rebellion or legalism, but a life of sacrificial love to the Father that adopted us. So then Paul clarifies in this next section of Galatians chapter 5 here, verses 19 through 23. Notice this. I want us to take a look at the evidence. This is The flesh versus the spirit. Now we see how radically opposed these two lives are. How do we know if we're walking by the spirit? Well, Paul tells us here in verses 19 through 23. It's really not difficult to tell. Paul lists the virtues of the spirit and he lists the vices of the flesh. Again, Tom Schreiner says this, Those things that issue from the flesh are obvious and clear to anyone with an ounce of discernment. Very rarely have I ever had to look myself in the mirror and say, you know, the way I reacted this afternoon, I'm just not real sure whether that was a fleshly response or a response in the spirit. I generally have a pretty good idea. One of the things that my dad used to say to me when I was growing up was, son, you sure are full of yourself today. You ever had someone say that to you? You're full of yourself today. What that means is you're living according to the flesh. That's really what that means. You think that this is all about you. All you're consumed with is you. You're consumed with what you want, what you desire, what makes you feel good. And there's never been a time, I don't suppose, in human history where we, where we see that more magnified than we do today. I mean, what is the mantra of the day? You do you. You do you, right? If it feels good, do it. I mean, that's been, that, that, that thinking, that teaching has been going around for a long time. And it continues. You do you. You, you fill, uh, fulfill your selfish, fleshly desires. And so what we find here are basically four categories of sins produced by idols and false saviors. These four categories. Number one, sexual. Check this out. Sexual issues that he mentions here is not something new. It's not something that's just come about since the, quote, sexual revolution. There was sexual perversion in ways that, that, that we have a hard time describing in Paul's day. There's nothing new. So we're talking about any form of sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And we could, we could list examples, fornication, pornography, adultery. It could just be wandering affections, sexual. Number two, improper worship of the one true God idolatry in any form, using God for gain. That's the the heart of the prosperity gospel. Use God as some sort of a genie, that kind of thing. Improper worship of the one true God. Relationships. Relationships, all relationships. This is where we find discord many times within the church even. Uh, And He gives some examples here pretty clearly. Enmity or hatred, strife, jealousy, being consumed with our own self-glorification, fits of anger, uncontrolled temper, rivalry, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, not being content with what God has given us. These are all things that characterize the flesh. The flesh. And then fourthly, uncontrolled appetites drunkenness, orgies. We see appetites that are out of control. And so what you find here is that people take good things, good gifts, and use them as their satisfaction and for their own destruction. Food, gluttony, drink, drunkenness, sex, all manners of sexual perversion. This is what we do in the flesh. We take good things... That God created to be right and pure and holy, and abuse them, feeding our appetites and our fleshly desires. So contrary to the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control, and notice he says here, and things like these. So this is not intended to be some kind of exhaustive list, right? Where you can just kind of you know check out Galatians chapter five and go, well, I'm not doing any idolatry right now. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not into orgies. I'm not you know. So you can no, 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 no. It's it's things like these. <laughs> things like these is the idea. And then he lists the fruit of the spirit. This comes by the gospel. In contrast, now those who were justified by faith through God's amazing grace are now empi- empowered by the Spirit and the new birth to live a new way of life. And the fruit of the Spirit should remind us again that we are grafted into the true vine. That's how we produce fruit. This is not you and me just gritting our teeth and determining to do better. This is not moralism. That's not what this is. Christian character is produced by the Spirit, by the Spirit, not mere moral discipline, just trying harder to, uh, to live a, a better life, but by becoming who we are and warring against the old flesh. Now, I want you to notice here that uh, the word fruit is, is, is singular, it's not plural. I know what we mean when we say the fruits of the Spirit and that kind of thing, but, it, but it's actually singular here. And I think the reason for that is because of the fact that all of these collectively make up Christ-likeness. And it also tells us that these are this is not a list of virtues that we can look at as some sort of a buffet and go, you know, I, I, I really want some of that self-control. Gentleness, on the other hand, eh, not so much. That's not me. And so you just continue to be an abrasive jerk of a person. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not how the fruit of the Spirit works. <laughs> it's not like we pick and choose and, oh, I'm more into joy, you know, than some of these other things. Kindness, eh, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not to say that, that, that each one is as strong in us as others, perhaps, but simply that the Spirit is shaping us in every way into Christ-likeness. And additionally, the fruit of the Spirit as a whole is basically a character sketch of Christ. If you want to see Jesus, look right here. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. He perfectly embodied and lived out the fruit of the Spirit. He is conforming us into the image of Jesus, the one who perfectly embodied love and every uh, other virtue that is mentioned here. Now, take heart. Take heart, because this starts small and it grows. Uh, Just like if you have a fruit tree in your yard... Uh, and, you know, when, when spring comes along and you start to see some buds and, and you get excited about that, you don't expect to wake up the next morning and see a, you know, a pear hanging there or an apple, right? No, you, you're going to watch that tree continue to, to bloom. to blo- and, and, and then you're going to eventually be able to, to pull some fruit off of it or pick it up, right? It's the same way as, as we develop in likeness. Some of you are in the very, very early infant stages of your walk with Jesus. And so there are a lot of days that that you don't look a whole lot like Jesus. And check this out. I trusted Jesus as an eight-year-old boy. So for 48 years now, I've been in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by his grace. There are still days that I don't look a whole lot like Jesus. That's why we say we are all works in progress. We are all works in progress. And so more and more, I want to see these things as characteristics of my life. That's what walking in the Spirit is all about. So we've seen what it is that we're to crucify. Now, let's see how the gospel will enable us to live a Spirit-filled life. He says love. Love. The greatest of these is love. Why love first? Because it clearly reflects the character of God, the very nature of God. Scripture doesn't tell us that God is, God is loving. It says God is love. God is love. We love others because how, of how we have been loved. Not for what we can get out of them, but instead because we understand in the gospel that Christ loved us when we could do nothing for him. And now we're to love the same way. Is that always easy? Nope. <laughs> Not always easy. But it's one of the, it's the fruit of the spirit. And then joy, it's a delight that goes beyond happiness. It's a delight regardless of circumstances. Because again, when you understand the gospel and you understand God's love for us, you know that even in seasons of hardship and adversity, God is doing a work in us that is ultimately for our good and his glory. So while that experience may not be joyful in and of itself. Some of you have been through some deep, deep, dark valleys in recent days. You've had some real struggles, whether it's been a health issue or a financial setback, a relationship, whatever it may be. Know that in that, God, He's, he's, he's for you. And he's, he's molding you and shaping you into the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in that, even in the midst of those difficult circumstances, you can have joy. You can have joy. Then there's peace. This is to rest in the gospel. It's a rest that comes because we've been reconciled to God and are no longer under condemnation. We know that our greatest enemy has been defeated. So we have peace. Let the gospel sink in is what he is saying. Understand the grace that has been shown to you in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus has brought peace in this war by crushing Satan's head. He is a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. Then patience. That is enduring without losing it or getting rattled. It shows we understand God is in control and is allowing anything that we are going through. Impatience shows that we are in the flesh. We want things like we want them and we want them when we want them. I know none of us struggle with impatience, right? Then kindness, goodness, gentleness, all these things. The gospel is in itself a picture of God's kindness to us in our salvation. A kindness displayed again in serving those who can't do anything for us. What was one of the the things that Jesus did in his final days? He washed his disciples' feet, including the guy who would betray him. You talk about a selfless love and service kindness, gentleness. That's the type of kindness we're to show. We see it illustrated in in David, his kindness toward Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul. He shows kindness to him by adoption. Mephibosheth thinks that he will just be an employee, right? But David brings him in and treats him like a son. And he says, everything at the table, it belongs to you belongs to you. That's the kind of kindness that we're to show, the kindness that Jesus showed us when we were crippled by sin, like Mephibosheth was crippled physically. And then faithfulness, being loyal, dependable. God is faithful. And so we should see that more and more in our own lives. The sun coming up every morning is a sign of God's faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Self-control resisting our fleshly appetites and desires and, and the flesh that, that, that we can so easily submit to this is a lordship issue it's a lordship issue it's a gospel issue w- w- will you be lord will you be the one sitting in that, that, that chair at the head of the table or will christ who who governs you our flesh wants to make us ultimate That's what happened in the garden. What always happens apart from the spirit. We want to be served so we don't need to control ourselves. Everything should be done to serve me. That's the flesh. That's its natural bent. But Jesus gives us a different picture. He is not controlled by his appetites. He came to serve. Christ did not let his wants control him. You look at his his temptation After 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days of fasting, he is driven by the Spirit and the Word and not his desires. He was offered, offered by the enemy bread and rule and vindication, but was able to look at the serpent and say, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What a perspective. What is the greatest desire and affection of your heart? the glory of God and Christ, or your flesh. We will never be self-controlled people until our greatest desire is Christ and Christ alone. And then finally, verses 24 through 26, remember the good news. Remember the good news. Now we could easily read this passage and become a bit dejected feeling like the Christian life is a, a tug of war and believers are destined to, uh, to live a spiritually meager existence and perpetual defeat and minimal growth. It's like I'm just tugging and pulling and groaning and I continue to get pulled back to the, to the other side. But we have to remember the good news. Paul tells the Galatians that they should recognize the hope and the power that they have in their new identity in Jesus Christ. They are not hopeless in this battle. They are not powerless in this battle. Verse 24, we don't need the law to restrain our behavior since we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Something radical and powerful has happened to us. And so, in order to bear the right kind of fruit, we must become good gardeners, is what that really means. Now, I don't have a green thumb. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, If you drive past my house right now, I've got three dead bushes right out in front. I mean, they are dead but how, how, do we, how do we cultivate good fruit? Well, you, you cultivate it in spiritually healthy conditions. Again, I, I'm not a botanist or anything like that, but I do know that the condition of the soil has a lot to do with the health of the plant. I did a science experiment in the eighth grade one time. Do soils affect the germination of seeds? So I know, okay? I know. Um, yeah. I mean, the condition of the soil is so important, right? There are nutrients in that soil, things that are needed for a plant to thrive and to grow. Well, the same thing is true for us spiritually. Hey, if you're detached from the body of Christ and you rarely, if ever, pick up the word of God, you rarely spend time praying unless you just really need God, like you need a fire extinguisher, you're probably not growing in Christ-likeness. You're probably not growing in Christ-likeness because there are plenty of opportunities for you to give in to the flesh and the things of this world. And so we're looking for the fertile soil of worship and the word and community. And then, and then with that, you have to clear away harmful conditions. So to have a beautiful garden, to have a beautiful flower bed, yeah, you want to cultivate and you want to fertilize and, and water and all of those things, but you also have to eradicate. You have to pull weeds You have to get rid of the the bugs and the weeds that threaten good fruit. So that's like unconfessed sin in our lives. That's wrong relationships. Hanging out in the wrong environments. Those kinds of things. We consent to God's grace. Yield to the Spirit. We find that community in, in a healthy local church. And then we just practice calm persistence. When we intentionally, purposefully trust in Christ alone for salvation... And we're uniting ourselves with Christ, and we are saying no to that life in Adam. So, this death to the flesh brings about a new creation and deliverance, as Paul said in chapter 1, from this present evil age. So, while yes, we still feel the temptation of sin, fleshly passions no longer have to reign. The good news is that because you belong to Jesus, you don't have to be dominated by the flesh. You and the flesh have parted ways. I I, I love to say often, I found myself saying, when I'm I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. When I'm prone to to be fleshly and filled with Mike Lovely, I, I find myself saying often, no, 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 you are dead to that. You are dead to that. You're dead to that. Something has already happened decisively at the cross. Christ has won the ultimate battle. And now we have to, as it were, deal with this mop-up operation until Christ comes to deliver us completely from this body of death, according to Romans chapter 7. So while we must daily mortify the flesh, die to ourselves, we do that through fasting, we do that through prayer, we do that through self-control, we do that through repentance, we do that... All of that, our ultimate hope is that we belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. So the question is, do you? Do you belong to Jesus? I'm not asking you today, do you know about Jesus? Do you know of him? Do you belong to Jesus? Can you truthfully say this morning that he is your Savior and your Lord? Are you Christ, have you become a new creation? If so, then you have power to slay the desires of the flesh, though it will be a daily and sometimes painful battle. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, we move into a time of decision. I don't know about you this morning, but this section of God's Word, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul, so resonates with me. And if for one minute you think that we as church leaders, pastors, those who've been on this journey, perhaps longer than you, like that we've got it all figured out or we're exempt from some of these things, you need to know we're not. I'm in this battle with you. If you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to take that step of faith to acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that you can't save yourself. God's Word is so crystal clear that it is not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We're told this in Titus. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. If you've never taken that step of faith, can I invite you to do that today? I would love to take you aside, show you from the Word of God. Now you can know that you're in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. There may be others of you who would say, Pastor, if I'm completely honest, there are far more days that I find myself walking in the flesh than walking in the Spirit. And Through God's Word today and by His Holy Spirit, I can identify it's because I'm not cultivating the rich soil needed to grow good fruit. I'm not prioritizing being in that place. Living life in community with others where I can be held accountable and challenged and grow. Be nourished. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. I thank you that you didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, to figure it out to somehow, some way, in our own strength, their own abilities, to become good enough so that we could be accepted by you. I thank you for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin, that is our internal GPS. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we choose the dangerous detours of the flesh, God, we need you. We need you to daily, to help us daily to live out the things of God, to bear the fruit that you have designed and created us to bear. May we be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alsteyn. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.